Acts chapter 9, this particular chapter, in just a moment, I'll begin reading in about verse 20 probably. I'll start there, but I just want to give you a little synopsis of what's happening here in this ninth chapter. A lot of things take place in just a few verses. There is a persecutor of the church. His name is Saul. He was known as Saul from a place called Tarsus. And he has gone about directly giving orders for the early church Christians to be persecuted in different ways and and undoubtedly was responsible for the martyr of some of those individuals. The apostle Paul hated Christianity with everything that was in him. He fought against it, not because it was just Christianity, it was against the teachings that he had learned to love all of his life. And sometimes there can be a conflict in an individual's life from what they have been taught from what is right. Because sometimes what we're taught isn't always right. And in this case, they had been taught that Jesus could not have been the Messiah, but they were wrong. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was an intellect. He had great ability to speak languages. And God saw in this man something that he couldn't see in himself. I don't want you to get the wrong idea when you go home today, if you read the ninth chapter, this is not God making Saul turn to him for salvation. God never makes anybody get saved. But I will say God will go to great extremities to try to convince you to be saved. God still left certain things in his deciding factor that is the deciding factor of Saul what to do. He is knocked down to the earth by a blinding light from heaven. Those that were with him hear the voice, but they see no man. And he asks the question, why persecutest thou me? And he finally gives the instructions what he's to do. He's to go into a place called Damascus. He's there at Damascus, but he's now blind. The light from heaven was so great that he's blinded. He hasn't received his sight. He gets into Damascus and has to tarry there for a period of a few days while God works on another servant by the name of Ananias. And he said, I want you to go to Saul. He's down on Straight Street. And he said, I want you to do as I've commanded thee. And finally, through that time, Saul not only has now heard the voice of God, but he experiences the power of God. Because when Ananias comes to him, prays with him, this conversion takes place. So great is the conversion that it not only changed Saul, who later became known as Paul the apostle, because the Lord changed his name as well throughout scripture, but this Paul the apostle became responsible to be the penman for at least 13 books in your New Testament. So somebody that hated the very church that was established by Jesus Christ is now the one promoting the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That tells you what God can do to change individuals. So here he is now. He is, he's so overwhelmed by the knowledge that he has by this revelation of Jesus Christ and his conversion experience that when you get to verse 20, the Bible says, this is concerning Saul, who later became Paul, said in straightway, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that destroyed them, which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for the, that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest. 
But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But there were laying a weight was known of Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. So God spares his life. Now what's amazing about this, the very man that set out to destroy Christianity by the time that he finishes his life, as far as we can tell, he had reached nearly half the known world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had preached to almost half of the entire world before he died. That was before there were jets and automobiles and sound systems and internet. He was traveling on foot, going place to place. If he couldn't get in a synagogue, he'd preach on a hill. But still, he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and tell people of the power of the gospel. So one thing I think you need to notice, if you determine to serve the Lord like Saul determined to serve the Lord, there's some things you need to be aware of, just a couple that I'll bring to attention this morning. Number one, you'll have obstacles that you'll have to overcome. He had a lot of obstacles to overcome. Number one, I'm sure the emotional hindrances. Can you imagine how he must have felt knowing that he's now preaching the grace of God to the very ones he was trying to kill and torture just a few days before? So now here he is, with this enormous struggle, not only is he trying to reach these people with the gospel, he knows how that they see him. He finally winds up spending three years in the Arabian desert and confers with no man, only the spirit of God, because he knows they can't accept him for who he is and what he's done. They're realizing who he has been and they're, they're gauging everything from his past. So he can't convince them of the change. He has to show them the change. So I'm sure that was an emotional hindrance to him. See, it's easy to preach to people that love you. It's harder to preach to people that hate you. It's easy to live for the Lord when you're here in church on Sunday. It's harder to live for the Lord at the workplace on Monday or at school on Monday because everyone doesn't love Jesus like people in here love Jesus today. You're going out into a wicked world. And then too, it's also hard to find a way to tell people there has been a change. It's not that you don't want to, it's just you know what you were and you know what you are and how do you put that into words to somebody that knows what you were but they don't know what you are yet. They can't see the change. Some changes are visible, but most of the time the change has taken place on the inside and because of that, if they just look at you, you're the same person, they can't tell anything different. That creates an emotional hindrance in your life and the emotional hindrance was for the gospel's sake. So he battled this emotionally. I'm sure he couldn't understand. Why can't people see this? Why can't they grasp this? Why can't they understand this? So he had obstacles to overcome. One was the emotional hindrance. Second of all, there were physical hindrances. He's in Damascus. And the more excited he gets, and the more he tells about Jesus, the more they hate him. And they set out a plan. And they set out this plan to try to kill him. 
But you need to see something here. I don't, I don't want to give you the wrong idea about the apostle, apostle Paul, who was known as Saul at this time. They made a plan thinking he didn't know anything about it. Right or wrong? Anyone that God anoints and puts in a certain place, God will make sure they have the right information to carry on to do the job that God has given them. Some of you slip around and do things, think nobody knows about it, your preacher knows. I know those of you that work behind my back, stab me in the back, I love you, I'll preach to you anyway, I don't trust you. But I know you, scoundrel. You think you can do it, nobody knows. I, I have, there's been people left this church because they were trying to overthrow. They didn't like the preaching. See, some of you, you, you think because you walk up and give outreach a $50 check that that, that covers a multitude of sin. But beware, when you're talking, somebody's listening. One of the greatest opponents I ever had in this church, I sat down at Bob Evans one day. Sat down at Bob Evans all alone. I never eat alone at Bob Evans. Sat down at Bob Evans all alone. And the individual, they have this glass on the back. Do you know that glass doesn't block out sound? And they didn't know I was in before they got in. And when they sat down, they didn't know they were meeting with another pastor and they sat there and all they talked about was me and our church. And when I got up to leave, I turned around and said, busted. That's all I said. I went on my way. Some of you think you can get alone somewhere, you trust me. Well, moving right along. He knew. How, why did God let him know? Because God had a plan for his life. God wasn't finished with him yet. And he knew their plan. And their plan was, this is what we'll do. We'll catch him coming out of the gate. He's got to come out of the gate sometime. When he comes out of the gate, we'll catch him coming out of the gate. We'll kill him, probably stab, stab him with a dagger. Nobody will ever be the wiser. We'll be surrounded. Nobody will take the blame. Paul's gone. All is well. And these religious leaders are back in power. Right or wrong? That's what it says. So God said, I've got another plan, Paul. I, I'm gonna do something else. Now, when we read this, it doesn't strike us as much to begin with. If I understand right, from the old historians, Roman historians, Jewish historians that I've read after, Babylon was almost... Uh, identical in size to Damascus at that time. Damascus was an important city, an export city, a commerce city rather at that time and it developed, grew very quickly. And while it wasn't as exquisite as Babylon, dimension wise at that time, Babylon would have been the closest to it. Well, they don't have the exact records of Damascus. We do know a little bit about Babylon. Babylon's walls were 311 feet high in some places. Of course, that's where the, that's where the towers would go up 
The reason they were great in height is because the terrain, you, for any of you that's been in the Holy Land, you know it's a mountainous area. And with the terrain that's there, they always built their cities on the tops of mountains. Reason is because you're safer when the enemy has to come up a mountain to attack. So from the base of that, where the foundations went in, up, they said it's 311 feet high. That meant that there were places that it was the equivalent of a 30-story building almost. Pretty phenomenal, isn't it? They were 87 feet wide. They had gates that were 350 feet wide and 75 feet tall. So here he is in a city similar to that. I know Babylon was the, the walls around the city, they say were 56 miles to travel around the city. So can you imagine building walls like this, towers like this, all the way around the city? But of course, a city wouldn't be protected if it didn't have walls all the way around it. So here it has walls all the way around it. So they said, they're watching the gates. Why? The gates, the purpose of the gates was that they could shut out the enemy, but they could also control who came in, who went out. They said, there's no way out except through the gates. So they came up with the idea, let's stick this preacher in a basket. At night, at night in the dark and lower him, wonder how high up he was. And talk about faith. I mean, anybody knows it's nothing to do with those individuals. If they were up very high, it, it's, just, it's just the law of the thing. When you put a weight in a basket and lower it, the farther down it goes, the harder it is to hold. So you're dependent on somebody to lower you in a basket down over the side of the wall. Can you not see that's a physical hindrance? That's a big hindrance to have to overcome. He wasn't climbing, we sang today. They sang today with the choir, born to climb. He wasn't climbing, they were letting him down. But the ones at the top had a tremendous job. They said, we'll be the rope holder. You can trust us, you can count on us. I don't know about you, but I'm glad we've got a rope holder that he always holds on to us. No matter what we're going through, he'll not drop you, he'll not fail you. Doesn't matter how dark it is, you may not be able to see way up high and on the other side of the wall, but hallelujah, he is always there and he's always holding us. So there were physical hindrances. The devil will always use emotional hindrances and physical hindrances sometimes just to keep you from coming to Christ. So there's obstacles to overcome. Second of all, I think you need to see that our influence is always reward, rewarded. That's what we see in the life of Paul. Had Paul not been lowered down, then he could not have preached to half the known population at that time. God wasn't finished with him. You're here today because God's not finished with you. God will take what's done. and they, they, thought, they thought we're just saving a preacher's life. What they didn't know, <laughs> they were helping to be a key instrument in the gospel that we hold in our hands today to preach and share with others. You have an influence. 
You are influencing your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, those that you work with, go to school with, live by. You're influencing them some way, either for the good or for the bad. If you go home from church and you talk about church, you're influencing them for the bad. If you go home and you talk about the good things of God and how great God is and how wonderful is word, you're influencing for the good. And do you know this? You look at it as just a little help. I'm just giving a little help. But God looks at it this way. I see it from beginning to end, the Lord says. And you don't know when you do a little thing what the end result will be of that thing that you've done. That's, that's, the, that's the message of all of them. They had no idea who they were helping or the effect it would have on a multitude of people. Just like when people come through here and our church blesses them in their ministry, we have no idea of the lives that'll be touched. Every now and then God lets us see a little bit. Many of you donated your time this year uh, to prepare food baskets for outreach. What a blessing it was. I, that, things went out on Saturday. People had what they needed for Christmas, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day uh, when the final things went out. And uh, there's great numbers that were reached. A lot of people you don't hear back from. But one individual family took the time to make sure they, they contacted someone and said, hey, I've got a family that wants your number. Is it okay to give them your, your cell number? I said, sure. Gave them the cell number, I heard from them. And when they contacted me, said, Preacher, you probably don't know me. Said their name, and to be honest, I couldn't remember their name. They were on one of the lists, they needed some help. There was a situation that I can't go into. Uh, after they reminded me, I remember then, and they said, thank you. I, I want you to thank everyone that provided the food that we needed for, for Christmas because it changed everything. And they said, but what you need to know as well, we had nothing absolutely nothing and said when my wife asked me do you know this guy I told her I don't know him do you know the people the churchy pastor no do you know anyone in their ministry no does he know you have no idea I've never met him I don't know who he is I don't know why he did this I don't know why the people did this I never met him they just contacted me and said we've got what you need they got to working on them and by Christmas Eve, they decided, well, God had to have something to do with this. And they said, we just wanted to contact you and tell you our whole family has been saved as a result of that. That's why you do it. It's not just about giving food or giving money or paying bills. It's doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus so that people can come to know Christ as their savior. If we just feed someone and don't give them the gospel, they're no better off. They'll get hungry again and be right back in the same place. They had no idea. You say, well, wait a minute. Preacher, that's Paul. I'm not Paul. Well, you still have an influence. But let me do this real quick. It won't take maybe just two or three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, six minutes. Uh, let, let, let's take a guy, uh, he was the seventh of nine children. 
he only completed the fifth grade of school. That was all the education that he had. When he was a young boy, his father died and his family fell on some very difficult times. When he became 17, 16 to 17, he decided, I need a job. Well, nobody wanted to hire him. They lived in the Chicago area. No one had a job. And finally, he went to his uncle that ran a little shoe store, said, I really need a job. His uncle at first was hesitant to give him the job. He said, I need to sit down and talk to you. And he said, okay, that's fine. He said, I'll give you the job, but there's some conditions. He said, what's the conditions? He said, well, number one, you can never go to worldly amusements. You imagine our employer saying that today? I'll hire you, but you, you can't go to worldly amusements. Number two, you've got to go to my church. Mount Vernon Congregational Church. He said, I'll go. So he kept his word. He had to keep his word to keep his job. He went to, he went to Sunday school and he met a wonderful man. The man seemed to speak kindly to him. In his class, everyone in the class that he was in, all of them, he, uh, he sat with freshmen that they all went to a renowned university and here he is with a fifth grade education. He felt out of place, the Sunday school teacher, his name was Everett Kimball. He sensed that he felt out of place. So Everett Kimball made a personal call one day to him while he was working at his uncle's shoe shop. And Everett Kimball said, why don't you accept Jesus Christ as your savior? He said, I believe I will. And there in that shoe shop, he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. By the time that he's 18 years old, he changes churches and goes over to uh, Plymouth Avenue Congregational Church. And while he's there, he feels the call to preach. So feeling this call to preach, he goes to them and they say, now wait a minute, you, you, can't, you can't be a preacher. He said, you're, you're a member in good standing. In fact, the church he came from, he was the 1,027th member of, of the Mount Olive Church Mount Vernon Church rather, said, but you, you can't be a preacher. We refuse to ordain you. So they didn't want to lose him. They said, why don't you try this? Why don't you, why don't you try a visitation program to see if you can maybe get some folks to come to church? He started a visitation program and he brought 18 street children to church. They really didn't like that. It didn't look good on the church. So they said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to start Sunday schools. So he started Sunday schools. By the time he was 18 or 19, he had established 22 different Sunday schools in other locations. Grew so much that he had to rent a theater and he was averaging 1,600 in Sunday school. Never ordained to preach. Fifth grade, fifth grade education. By the time he was 23, he's now married and he feels compelled to start evangelizing among the Union soldiers. He preached to 350,000 Union soldiers during the Civil War. God continued to bless his life. It wasn't long until he had, uh, was called at the age of 24 to go to a church to preach. 
for a meeting. A man by the name of Holloman pastored that church. It was a Tuesday evening. He preached that night and he sent the people home and said, you go home and think about giving your life to Christ. I'll extend an invitation the next service. That night, Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked the lantern over in the barn and half of Chicago burnt down. That motivated his life that he said, I will never preach the gospel again without giving an invitation for people to come to Jesus Christ. The Lord opened doors in America for him to start preaching the gospel. Soon he got a call to go over to England to preach in a meeting there. In that meeting, there was a gentleman by the name of F.B. Meyer that came to the Lord and was converted. F.B. Meyer later was called to preach. He pastored a church down the street from C.H. Spurgeon. F.B. Meyer became the prayer team leader for Spurgeon and Spurgeon's church, even though he pastored another church. F.B. Meyer had the privilege to come and preach the gospel here. And under his preaching, a man by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman gave his life to the Lord. J. Wilbur Chapman became the director of the YMCA in Chicago. There was a young baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday that heard the singing from the Pacific Garden Mission Group that was there preaching on a street corner. And he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. He turned down a contract at that time for $3,500 to continue playing baseball. And he took a job at the YMCA under J. Wilbur Chapman for $83 a month. And he became an assistant to J. Wilbur Chapman. That man's name was Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was called down to Charlotte, North Carolina to preach a meeting. The meeting was so phenomenal that in that meeting, they decided we want you to come back, have an area-wide meeting. He said, I, I want to, but he couldn't find a place in his schedule to go back and preach the meeting, so he contacted him. He said, I've got a good friend. He's been training under me. Mordecai Ham is his name. Can Mordecai Ham come and preach that meeting? They said, yes, let Mordecai Ham come and preach the meeting. In that meeting that Mordecai Ham preached, a man came forward, a young man gave his life to Christ whose name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham became a preacher that reached the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it all started over a man by the name of D.L. Moody who had a fifth grade education that was willing to follow God. And even when they refused to ordain him, he found little children that needed to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and started bringing them in. And out of that, had it not been for D.L. Moody, there would not have been an F.B. Meyer. Had it not been for F.B. Meyer, there would not have been a J. Wilbur Chapman. Had it not been for J. Wilbur Chapman, there would not have been a Billy Sunday. Had it not been for Billy Sunday, there would never have been a Mordecai Ham. Had there not been a Mordecai there had never been a Billy Graham. Don't tell me your influence doesn't matter. It does. You're here today on a Sunday morning thinking you're just sitting in church. But if this gets in your heart the right way, you'll leave this place to say, I'm not just spending time. God has a purpose for my life. 
God has a plan for my life. And I don't know, I could be preaching this morning to someone that could become the next Billy Graham. Do you really believe that? Yes, I do. So to you, it's just another service. But to someone here today, it could be an encounter with the Lord that could change their life forever. I don't know. I don't know what your plans are. But if they don't include God, you need to change your plans. Saul had a plan in his life until he had a Damascus Road experience. Wouldn't this be a great way to start the year? People having a Damascus Road experience with the Lord.